Hey everyone, welcome to episode 119 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen. This week's episode features our first landscape photographer from China, Wei Hao Pan. Wei Hao and I covered a lot of fun ground this week, including his journey as a landscape photographer, exploring China and Tibet as a landscape photographer, some of his favorite stories from Tibet, uh, what it's like to photograph in the Himalaya mountains, uh, what it's like to uh, take a Mark Adamus workshop, and social media and behavior from photographers in China. Over on Patreon, Wei Hao and I dissect and discuss several of his images that have received awards over the last couple of years. All right, let's get to the show. Pan, it's really cool to have you on the podcast. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me, man. No, no problem. And you're you're in uh, Juneau, Alaska, right now. Is that right? Yeah, right. Yeah, I just finished like two small helicopter in camping and doing some photography stuff. Yeah, and then yeah, two days ago, I back in time, and then cool. Yeah, I'm resting right now. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of uh, what kind of stuff were you able to photograph from the helicopter? Um, actually, most of them just like big glaciers, and then mm. some like glacier lines. The yeah, pretty much, and some like layer shots, like layers, layers, mountains. Yeah, something like that. It sounds like some hands strand type stuff. Yeah, actually, actually, the helicopter is just like way more stable than people thought. Yeah, yeah. No, it's um, it's fun. I I did a helicopter tour of Kauai back in I guess it was late December. Oh yeah, uh huh. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did one like Kauai too. Yeah, it was amazing. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, maybe let's uh give the mm-hmm. listeners a little. Uh, introduction to who you are um, so maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself and then um, after that tell us kind of how you got into photography all right yeah so my name is Wei Hao Pan and you can just call me like Wei everybody call me Wei <laughs> and <laughs> like I'm from, yeah I'm from China so but I was a student here in the U.S. so that's why my English is not really bad but so, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> and yeah, I kind of like graduated like three, or maybe like four years ago. And okay. then, yeah. What did you study? Uh, I was studying like biology. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, but yeah. And when I was starting here in the US, I used most of my like vacation time to travel and taking some landscape photography. So that's kind of like how I got into the landscape photography the first place. And, and then after so, this, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it started when you were here in the United States for school? Yeah, pretty much like back in like 2012. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So yeah, that's why I... And are you are you doing photography as your full-time job now? Um. Yeah, it's near the full-time right now because I'm already back 
to China and I figured, yeah, why give it a shot and try to do something I really like. So yeah, that's how I started. And yeah, but it's all have to go back to like early my child age. It has a lot to do with my like childhood, like loving the nature and spending the time in the outdoors. Yeah, my mom used to take me to the wilderness a lot. Yeah, because she was a biology teacher, teaching biology, mostly like cell biology or like also some other like animal and plants stuff. Yeah. So that's when she took me in around like 12 or 13 hmm. years old. So that's cool. Yeah. So it's kind of like a long way back. So that's is when I actually like starting to love the nature and with the wilderness so much. But yeah, and then kind of like in the middle school and in the high school, I kind of like went away a little bit. But when I started here in the US, so I started back to like going out to nature a lot again. So that's how I find out, oh, maybe the photography can like relate it back to this like emotion, like loving the nature and yeah. loving the outdoors. Yeah. And where, where did so, you... Yeah, that's, where did you go to school in the states? Um, yeah, the UC Davis. Uh, so, oh, okay. Yeah, awesome. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So, yeah. So, are there a lot of um, people in China that uh, are into nature, or like, is that pretty uncommon? Um, I would say like back in my time, like my childhood, like yeah, not many kids around me like they love nature and love the the outdoors so i was kind of like like the real one so (laughs) (laughs) yeah because everybody around me they like different like computer games and like maybe like playing sports like basketballs like Mm. everything Mm -hmm. yeah so not many people like living the nature yeah for some reason but yeah but the number is kind of like growing right now Mm -hmm. so there's a lot like kids and like people they enjoying the outdoor and the nature a lot right now so yeah that's a good thing it is you know it's interesting uh i read a article last night uh from a uk photographer where he had taken a trip uh-huh. to southern france and uh to these lavender fields and mm-hmm. um it's you'd have to check it out but basically what he, what he described was like hundreds and hundreds of uh, people mostly f- uh he he thought they, they were mostly from china they were like super mm-hmm. like wanting to get photos of models in the po- in the lavender fields and oh uh, yeah i'm wondering if like i bet a lot of people in china probably just grow up in the city and like don't really um have never really been taught how to I guess be in nature, you know, because they just trampled mm-hmm. all over the place and destroyed the lavender, and were like pulling it out of the yeah. ground and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, I wonder, like, based on kind of what you said, where a lot of people growing up that are your age didn't really mm-hmm. have much exposure to nature, and now they're experiencing it for the first time. Because I know. Yeah. A lot of people like China is kind of an emerging economy, so a lot of people have more mm-hmm. a little bit more money now, and so they're doing more mm-hmm. travel. And so yeah. uh what are kind of what are your thoughts on on that? Um yeah, it's 
I mean, for me, it's still like a little bit bad or maybe like a little bit embarrassed to see, yeah, my country, like a lot of people doing that. Yeah, so, but um, there's quite a lot right now. They're like protecting the nature. They know like we should like protecting the nature and mm. we shouldn't do like trembling things and doing something like destroy, pulling out grass or maybe... <laughs> yeah, catching some animal stuff. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, I I mean, it still has a long way to go, but it definitely like they're improving right now. Yeah, so it has to do like the education in school, I guess. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, I guess if you're but, yeah in front I, of a computer mm -hmm. all day for your childhood, you don't really have. The opportunity to yeah. to learn what it's like to be in nature and kind of what the kind of right. I mean, there's no rules. You know, you get to a place it doesn't say like mm -hmm. this is what you need to know. There's usually there's not that kind of stuff out there. So, um, I think I think we're just gonna have to continue to educate people as much as we can. Yeah, yeah. yeah right now in the school they have a lot of like programs like they taking the kids out of the wilderness teach them like how to differentiate like different animal species mm -hmm. or maybe the plant species so i mean that helps a lot like showing the kids like how to protect our nature and stuff yeah so i hope the next generation is much better yeah yeah well hopefully there's stuff left to take pictures of <laughs> yeah <laughs> actually yeah china is kind of fake though so yeah, they still have a lot of like locations that not many people go. Yeah, yeah I so mean that's a good thing. Yeah, China seems like one of those places that uh, there's just not that much known about it in terms of locations. And every time I see right, yeah, shots of it, yeah, I'm like whoa, that's insane. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially in the west part of China. So you can just kind of like divide China into two different parts. So one is kind of like the east side, which is like have like flat lands and a lot of like big cities and that's where most populations mm. are and the west side is kind of like the mountains the the high like tibet plateau and a lot of like wilderness and like wildlands over there so it's kind of like two separate region mm -hmm. for me yeah i mean <laughs> So there's definitely like a lot of place in the west side, like especially like in Tibet or maybe in northwest of China, which is like Xinjiang province. And yeah, those are the places I really like. And there's not much people in those lands and not much people like traveling around and explore. So that's, yeah, so that's how I want to like doing more explore over there. Yeah, so if someone was uh wanting to explore that part of China, what how would mm -hmm. someone go about trying to find uh places to shoot and places to go and like how do you do research about that? Um yeah, actually I mean like in my like preparation stage, I did a lot of like map study. Mm. So I'm just like, yeah, but it's really hard to get a topo map in China. <laughs> I mean, especially the good one. So I even dig out like the 1970s, the old age, the old like Russians mark the map. Oh, so, really? 
<laughs> yeah, I found that on the internet, especially um, there's like old Turbo Map, especially focused in this um the southeast part of Tibet. So that's how I started my like project, like the southeast Tibet project. Mm. So I've been doing this project for like three years right now. So I actually have a like special like gallery in my on my website. There's like set focusing on Tibet area. Mm. Yeah, most of them like the mountain image. So yeah, that's how I started. Um the maps yeah, the map site definitely plays a huge role in my early like preparation stage. And then the second one is just like making friends with the local people. Mm, mm-hmm. So I actually have like two like two drivers that is like really close to me and they are the Tibetan people and they can speak all kinds of like dialogues in Tibetan. So I kind of like every time I go there, I just like, I use them. Yeah, they're driving me around and then I can just like explore and talk to like different like local people and see what Mm -hmm. this mountain range has. Yeah, sometimes I just ask them, so is there like impressive or like jagged mountain peak in this region? And then yes. And then the people were showing me around like where's the peaks are, where's the glacier, where's the lake. So it's kind of nice to have like like translator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, yeah, because, yeah, because in Tibet, they speak like totally different language. But mm. they also can speak a little bit like Mandarin. So mm. that's how we can like talk. Yeah. And communicate. Yeah. That's cool. And I'm assuming there's not like a lot of roads. <laughs> um, Actually, there's not many, but they still have some. Yeah. The big ones, the main roads. Yeah. But there are also kind of like a lot of like dirt roads into the village. So mm-hmm. that's why... I need to like hire like two or one drivers to like driving the jeep around. Yeah, because I'm not familiar with the road and the road, the dirt road over there is just kind of like dangerous, like really exposed. Like some, some of them is like they are even like right in the cliffs. So yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> nerve wracking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we have some roads like that here in Colorado too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's. It is fun. Yeah, it's fun to <laughs> drive around. Absolutely. Uh, do you have any uh, favorite stories from your adventures in Tibet? Oh, yeah. Actually, um, just a couple of times I, run, I ran into like the snow leopard. And mm. yeah, I've seen like a one like giant, like maybe like two or three kind of like meters. I don't know how to convey it into the feet, but it's got like two or three meters long. The snow leopard is just like big one. And then it was crossing the snow field and I was like, whoa, that's a huge animal right there. So when I look, look back and then I see, I saw like this big footprint mm. on the snow field. Yeah, so I was like, whoa. There is something else to see. There's no lip. There's just like, it's kind of big though still. Yeah, but it's really beautiful animals. They have like... Are they 
are they pretty uh, uncommon or are they? Yeah, it's really uncommon to see mm-hmm. in Tibet because they always like hitting away from the people they don't want like mm-hmm. interrupting a lot. So, but they also right now they sometimes they go down to the village and hunting down the the yard and maybe a little bit like sh- the sheep. Yeah, so definitely there's a chance you can see in the village inside. So yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I've I would love to see a snow leopard in the wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you will never forget that will. Yeah, it is amazing. So when you're when you're traveling around Tibet, um, are you doing a lot of uh, backpacking? Um, yeah, mm-hmm. actually, yeah. But I cannot like carry like too heavy because the altitude. So sometimes, yeah, I, yeah. Sometimes I have to like hire one or two yard. And then I want local people to help carrying stuff. So yeah, definitely not. I cannot like carry like 80 pounds or maybe like even like 60 pounds, that huge backpack on my back. (laughs) So yeah, the best I can do is like 40, 45. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I do a lot of backpacking here in Colorado and I like to keep my pack weight under 40 pounds for sure <laughs> yeah because the altitude is just like oh gosh yeah it's it's kind of like yeah definitely like suffering <laughs> yeah definitely yeah, although every, you get used to every, it every, yeah every two or three steps you're gonna have to take a rest <laughs> and then yeah when you're like hiking in like maybe above like 5,000 meters yeah, that's pretty high. <laughs> that's kind of like high. Yeah, that's pretty high. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, because that's like, what, 15,000 feet or whatever? Yeah, that's definitely one of the challenge. So yeah, so that's why like each trip I have to use like at least like three days to four days yeah. to acclimatize. So that way, yeah, I can like be in the best shape to like hiking around. Yeah, definitely. So, um, are you, are you taking people to those locations in a workshop setting, or is that kind of the main way that you make money as a photographer? Oh yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I just started like um last year. I took like one big, uh, one kind of like big group, like six people, and we just like backpacking inside the mountains, like really remote location so there's we have have to like hire like the entire yard team from the village down below and then hike all the way up to the like four thousand five thousand meters and then just yeah it's it's kind of fun though (laughs) yeah i'm curious um for people that are joining you on those trips are they from the united states or from europe Um, i think most of them they're from uh china because right now yeah it's still um hard for the foreigners to travel in the remote place in Tibet due to like some restriction by the government. So yeah, oh, okay. yeah. So definitely hard. Even even there's actually there's still some remote place you can apply the permit, but it's really hard to apply the permit for actually. Hmm. Yeah, you know the Mark Animus. Uh, yeah, he actually took um a group. Back in like 2015 to the Kata Valley, 
which is the east side of uh, mountain areas. Yeah, so they di did not like get their permit like until the last like last minutes. <laughs> yeah, so that's how hard it is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just the permit that's hard to get. Like, what about other? Yeah. Like, do you have to have a yeah, visa or like how? What are like how do you? Do you just have to have a passport yeah, or like what are yeah, the other challenges? You have to like, I yeah. I mean, the visa is not that much of a big problem. The visa is kind of easy to apply, but the permit, the traveling permit in Tibet is really hard to apply. You have to pass through like the military, the Tibetan, the local government. And also the police station, <laughs> just even like the checkpoints are like every like fifty kilometers. Yeah. So wow. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely something else. <laughs> <laughs> so so not a lot of people from the United States are making the trip over there. Um. Yeah. There's still quite some, but they only travel like the popular place, like the Lhasa, which is the main city in Tibet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In that city, you can like travel the Jarkin Temple, which is the one of the most sacred temple in Tibet, and also the Patala Palace. Yeah, so those are the kind of like the regular spots for like the foreigners can travel to, mm -hmm. and also the Mountain Everest, the north side, the base camp, you can travel over there. And beside that, yeah, there's not much you can like traveling to yeah <laughs> so what uh what is it like for a landscape photographer to uh photograph that part of the world because every time i see pictures from there i'm just blown away and i'm assuming it's it's pretty incredible mm -hmm. but what is it like for you since you've done it so many times yep um tibet is kind of like the huge area you know right so the himalaya mountains range is kind of like the long ridge lines so in most part of tibet is really dry and like the plateau and mainly just grass and most of the landscape just rock and ice and huge mountains but there's one like special area which is the area i focus on like the southeast part of tibet is totally different it has like rainforest it has like even have like temperate forest in the lower uh, elevation. Also have some big glacier, huge waterfalls, like like really like Turkey blue lake. And yeah, there's a lot of like moisture coming from the Indian Ocean. So that's why the southeast part of Tibet is have a lot of like forest and water over there. So it's got like mm -hmm. completely different area you can see like above like six thousand meters piece and also you are standing like three thousand meters valley looking up like six thousand meter peaks so it's kind of like impressive to walk to see yeah i'm sure it's insane <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah some some of my picture i show a little bit scale of yeah. that place yeah they're Actually, lots of like forest, waterfall, and vegetation over there. So it's like kind of like not the general like Himalaya landscape people can think of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's 
Yeah, most people think about like the Nepal as like classic like Himalaya mountain range. So it's kind of like different than here in the southeast part of Tibet. Yeah. Yeah, I was just looking at a map while you were talking, and it mm-hmm. um, it seems like there's a huge like green area, right? Yeah, that huge green area looks really neat. There's like yeah. a huge wildlife sanctuary up there. And... Yeah, it's definitely. Yeah, there's a lot of like animals, different like a lot of like different insects, and yeah, it's kind of like the treasure. <laughs> there's a lot of like treasure over there. <laughs> so from from China, are you just driving there by road? Um, actually, first you have to fly to either like Lhasa or the Ningchu city. And then from okay. there, you can like rent a car and then hire some drivers to drive you around because you're not familiar with the dirt road over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And is, so is, uh, is Lhasa, is that on the, um, the s- south part there? Yeah, it's kind of like South Park is the main, I was like the main city in Tibet. Yeah. Okay. This is where the, the Jokin temple, which is one of the most sacred temple because they have one Buddhism. It's kind of like really old, have long history. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's a Patala Palace. Patala Palace is kind of like the, uh, that's where the Tibetan, the old Tibetan government, like inside the Patalis. Gotcha. So yeah, yeah, I'm, <clears throat> I'm terrible with geography of that part of the world, world just because I've never spent any time there. So it's like, every... yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's it's a misty <laughs> place for like most of yeah, foreigners. Yeah, it seems very <laughs> mysterious. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm curious. Uh, who are some photographers you had mentioned uh that there's some mountain photographers uh or artists i guess it could be more mm-hmm. than just photographers but um that kind of inspire you that have kind yeah. of given you some inspiration over the years and i'm curious um who these individuals are and and kind of why they inspire you and um there's definitely like um a couple like Japanese photographer back in like early like eighty and ninety. Uh I think one of them yeah, you can look it up, is uh Shiro Ki Fujita. So I think it's how you spell okay. like H I R O K I and the last name is F U J I T A. And he's one of the person like spending a lot of time in like Himalaya range both in like Karakram in Pakistan, also Nepal and also the Tibet side. Yeah, so he's like mountainary like image, so it's really like inspired me a lot. How did you how did you discover his his stuff? Um actually I saw like a uh back in like probably like three or four years ago, I saw like the gallery like online. And I was like, whoa, really? that, that is like something else. It's kind of like back in like old, like, f- like film age. So there's a lot of like film image he uh-huh. took. Yeah. And there's another like photographer. I think it's his name is, if I'm correct, it's Shiro Shirohata. So it's kind of like S-H-I-R-O and S-H-I-R-A-H-A-T-A. 
So yeah, he also published a lot of like books about the Himalaya mountain range. Just like one like special book, specially focused on Nepal, and there's another one like focusing on the Karakoram, which is Pakistan mountain range. So yeah, yeah, these are the two that I know of, and they took like the mountain image like completely different. They use a lot of, like um the mid range and long lens mm-hmm. to really show the the scale of the mountains. Yeah, because yeah, right now I saw like a lot of people like using the wide angle to shoot the mountains. And in my opinion, it's not like the best way to shoot the mountain mm-hmm. because the mountain looks kind of small in the wide angle. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if you know this or not. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Usually, yeah. So it just doesn't seem right to me because yeah, the mountain looks like so small. I mean, if you want to show the environment of the mountains, then you can use like wine go to show there's like maybe like flowers or maybe forest or maybe reflection. But if you want to just like focus the mountain itself, it's better you use like the mid range or long lens to really show the scale and the the giants of the mountains. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Although sometimes that's a uh hard to find like an interesting composition that way i found yeah yeah um i think yeah there's that's the reason why these guys they use a lot of like um the mid-range and long lens in the himalaya range because the mountains just like so high so it, <laughs> right. they're always like they're always like some like some kind of clouds or maybe fog or atmosphere around the mountains right so it's so it's really good to use the mid-range and long lens to capture the mountains in like layers. Yeah. Yeah. So that way it shows the mountains like really mysterious and huge. Well, cool, man. So um, kind of uh, winding down a bit, I, I had some listeners uh, submit some questions um, and uh, I just wanted to kind of read some of these questions uh from our listeners. So mm-hmm. um, Richard Wong, um, he mm-hmm. said that uh, it looks like you've shot some of your photos uh, on some Mark Adamus workshops. And yeah. uh, he'd like mm-hmm. to hear you describe the what the experience uh, was like for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I recommend like everybody should like take at least like one workshop with Mark because he's just like, amazing person and i spent quite a few times with him in the field and we did a lot of like backpacking and like also exploring in the wilderness like one in patagonia and one in alaska so Mm -hmm. he's a really like enthusiasm people he has like this like enormous like energy like he always hiking and go exploring in the wilderness so it's definitely like if yeah i recommend people should take one at least one of his workshop yeah okay cool yeah and um <clears throat> but did you find it was was it hard to keep up with him or does he um, like yeah yeah definitely uh he's a fast hiker <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well i mean when yeah. you're in the field i mean for like... yeah in the field i barely can 
follow him, but yeah, it took a while. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say if, if if you spend as much time in the wilderness as he does, you're probably in pretty good shape. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, uh, right now I'm in, yeah, right now I'm in pretty good shape too, but still, it's really hard to keep up with him. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, Richard uh, also would like to know um, what is the market like uh, for photography in China um, in terms of the commercial market? Like, how do you, you know, selling prints or or workshop clients? Like, what does that market look like? Yeah, actually, um, the market in China right now is just starting, so there's a lot of like uh, opportunities, um, but like in the printing wise, so there's not much people. Mm-hmm. Find the big print because um a lot of people don't think oh uh a picture or a print worth that mm-hmm. amount of money because it yeah it's really expensive if you like purchase a big print so yeah yeah it's weird people in China they don't usually like purchase a large like print yeah for some reason I don't know why yeah <laughs> but yeah because um they I mean the people in China. They like to take the picture by themselves, mm-hmm. so I guess that's why they don't like to purchase like the print from someone else. Yeah, what? Are, yeah, what are they doing with their photos? Because I've noticed um, there's a lot more people from China traveling with cameras and taking pictures. Like, what are they? What are they actually doing with the images? Are they sharing them on some kind of social media? Are they like what is their generally speaking kind of the motivation behind what they're yeah. why they're taking photos? Mm-hmm. So one thing actually you have to know is that like majority of the people like taking the landscape photography or maybe photography are the retired people. Mm. They most of them like the fifty or sixty mm-hmm. years old. So because they already retire, so they have like a lot of time <laughs> and also a lot of money. So they think, ah, oh, photography looks interesting. So. A lot of people just like go shooting and buy a couple like cameras and lens, and then just go out and traveling. Yeah, and they, some of them, they just satisfy with taking a picture itself. They don't want like making a print out of it, or they just like enjoy the pure pressure of taking the photos. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I bet you you can see there's a lot of like tourism. Of Chinese people, they're most of them. They're like, like kind of like uh, fifty or sixty. Yeah, 60 yeah definitely. Old. Yeah, yeah. Those are the retired people. Yeah, because the youngest one, they don't have that much vacation time. They also don't have that much money. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that makes sense. So it, yeah, in my workshop, like last year, I have like at least like four of them out of six are like retired people, like fifty, sixty years old. Yeah, so definitely there's like huge market in this. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, most of my clients are like retired people, and only like maybe one or two still working. Yeah, there's definitely like huge market in teaching workshop, but there's not much like selling prints or anything like that. Yeah. Mm. And are they are they more interested? Do you know? Are they more interested in um? just traveling and seeing locations or are they more interested in like learning how to take, you know, award-winning photos? Um, 
I think it's kind of like both. So like half and okay. half. So half maybe just want to like travel a lot of place, travel as many as they can, but they still could, <laughs> I guess. And the other half is they want to like um they really like landscape photography or maybe they really like the photography and they want to they want to like improve their skill and want to take the image or the picture they really like. So those are the ones who like will sign up a workshop for. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, moving on to the next kind of set of questions. Uh, Ron, mm -hmm. Ron Jansen, um, he stated yeah. that, uh, I've been I've been to China once, and one of the things I remember very well is pollution, pollution, pollution everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, people say that. Uh, let's see here. I wonder if if you also notice problems in nature due to pollution, garbage, plastic, too many visitors, um, things like things of that nature. Have you noticed that in China? Mm. Um, there's definitely quite a few in the west side, especially in the popular. Um, popular size like the one I was talking to you like the one the base camp mm -hmm. of mountain areas yeah there's definitely a lot of like trash yeah. right now yeah because so many people go there in the east side of the big city definitely there's a lot of like pollution in the air but yeah right now they are improving so mm -hmm. I guess yeah. that's a good thing that's a good thing but in my city like the canton that's where I'm living currently there's not much like uh air pollution right now because they are doing a lot of like job on this. They just keep improving the air ability, uh, quality. So yeah, that's good. It's definitely improving, but it's just just like too much people in China, so it's really hard to like, especially when you go to like the popular side, like the Guilin or the Yellow Mountains. You can see like tons of people. Yeah, mm -hmm. that really like. I don't like that. It's just, yeah, it just doesn't seem right to me. It's just like <laughs> so many people standing there, lining up and setting up the tripod. Everybody got the same shots. Yeah, it's just like, oh, it takes just no fun of that. Yeah, that's the way I feel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, but you can still, if you go to like the remote place in like with the website, like especially the place I went to, there's not much like, the garbage or any like any other like pollution yeah mm -hmm. definitely is. yeah the pollution in yeah the pollution especially the air pollution in the west side there's none yeah it's only occur in the like the big cities like beijing yeah in like shanghai yeah right like beijing and yeah he's Ron was also curious, like, does China have uh, their own social media that's similar to Instagram? Are they using Instagram? And then uh, either way, like, how, how is social media influencing uh, people's behavior? Um, yeah, there's definitely uh, one that's called, like, the WeChat. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the WeChat. There's, like, a subscription function. So everybody can set up their own channel. They can like publish like articles and also the image or video, all kinds of stuff. So I also have one too. So um that's how we can like showing our stuff to the public. Mm -hmm. And that's also like how the people in 
China, they just like communicate, like socializing. Mm-hmm. Have on you this platform? Have you noticed, mm-hmm. um, like, if there's a a new upcoming photo location near a large population center and people are posting pictures of it on that uh, social media, does it create the same problem here where you have this huge? Yeah, same thing. Yeah, same. Right. Yeah. The yeah, same thing. Especially there's like on uh, one particular place, uh, near the Tibet, near the Tibet area. So last year, I think it's just like two uh, a couple years ago, just uh, a couple of photographers just like published a bunch of images from that place. We have like tons of wildflowers and beautiful cascades. Mm. And then after that, there's a lot of like people going there, and yeah, like like you said, some some of them like traveling along the way, and then yeah, yeah, it kind of sucks. And then eventually, the the local government had to like shut down the area. <laughs> oh, it sounds like it sounds like it's a problem in there in China too. Yeah, that's a problem because China has just just has like so many people. Yeah, right. So if you have like one good place. That everybody knows, then there's bigger chance it got destroyed. Yeah, uh, that's too bad. Yeah, I'm, because, so so mm-hmm. China's approach to that is to just shut it down. Um, yeah, they kind of like shut it down right now, just for protection of the lands, mm-hmm. and then yeah, maybe it will reopen. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, sad. yeah, that's sad. Yeah, it's sad. So that's why I don't post like specific location right now. I used to post a little mm. bit like specific location for people who wants to go there. They can go by themselves. But right now it's just like, yeah, worth like travel fast. So everybody knows which location. So yeah, I definitely. I'm curious, has that phenomenon changed how you share your images online? Um. Mm, not really, but yeah, there's definitely in the image description, I usually just put like the general area of the image. So like the South East Tibet, mm-hmm. I don't post like specific location, it's which valley. Pretty big place. Yeah, it's right? pretty big place. So it's just like South East <laughs> Tibet. Okay. Yeah, but you're not like, here's the GPS coordinates for where I took this photo. Yeah, but sometimes I even post like the, the name of the mountain because it has like the local name uh-huh. the local Tibetan people named the mountain so I usually sometimes I post that name that makes sense so if if the people that really interesting and maybe they can like do the research by their own and then right. they can travel <laughs> there yeah imagine that doing your own yeah. research yeah just doing your own research yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, another listener uh, Nathan Klein had some of the same questions around, you know, prints and stuff like that, but he, he did have another twist on that. So, um, you know, one of the challenges we have here in the United States is around um, copyright and people using our photos for, you know, advertising or their websites or, you know, for TV shows or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he's curious. Uh, he's noticed that China seems to have a more relaxed policy on copyright and trademarks. 
And um, he's curious if that kind of impacts how how images get used commercially and do does that impact you as a photographer? Um, I would say like this situation um, is actually like maybe like three or four years ago. So after a couple years right now, the laws kind of like um, they build up the law to protect the copyright. Mm. So there's even like some company, they, they even like uh, can, our photographer, we can sign up a contract with uh, the company. The company will like help us to like. Yeah, it's, it's search the internet for your stuff. So the internet, the, the company basically just does like, they can like uh, search if there's somebody using your image illegally and then they can like, with lawsuit oh, okay. to them. So that's yeah. that's a uh, something that you guys can do. Yeah, that's 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 a good thing. Yeah, that's a good thing right now. And since that, um, a lot of people knows the copyright of the image. So right now, it's definitely improving. It's not like it's getting better and better. So yeah, that's something. It's a future out there. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, I mean, I think it's important yeah. to protect um right intellectual property so uh yeah. it's good to hear that china is starting to to take note of that mm-hmm. yep all right well uh winding down here so my kind of last question is who do you think uh listeners would want to hear here on the podcast uh tech core is one of my favorite but he seems like not doing landscape photography much nowadays but there's another two definitely like Marcel when Austin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's a uh, he's a wildlife photographer. But he also takes a lot of like landscapes too. Yeah, he's a really good one. I really like the simplicity of his image. Cool. Yeah, I've actually reached out to Ted Gore a few times, and we've exchanged a few emails. Um, I think he's just kind of uh, burned out. <laughs> seems oh yeah, like, he's so. just burned out. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll get him on the well, show eventually. Mm-hmm. Maybe I have to bribe him with some cookies or something. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, well, Weihao, thank you so much for uh, joining me from Juneau, Alaska at the tail end of your trip. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, sure. Thanks, awesome. man, for inviting me. No problem. Well, thanks to Wei for taking the time out of his busy schedule to join me on the podcast. All that talk about Tibet really has me intrigued and wanting to plan a trip to see that incredible part of Earth. I am super jealous. Well, this is my favorite part of the show. I absolutely love thanking our sponsors and patrons. You guys are what keeps me going and producing quality podcasts week after week. I'd like to give a special thanks to all the people we like to call our Patreon podcast producers. These incredible people contribute at the $20 a month level and higher over on our Patreon page and help shape the direction of the show. They shape the direction of the show through Google Hangouts that I uh, do with that group uh, every once in a while so that we can really just get to know each other and talk about the podcast and really just, you know, It's fun to hang out with our Patreon supporters and get their feedback on the show. So without further ado, I'd like to thank Ken Dono, Danny LeFrancois, James Bacavoy, Matthias at Photomagica, 
Richard Wong, Zachary Smith, Gary Randall, Frank Otto Peterson, Michael Rung, William Nurse, Lori Berenson, Anton Everine, David Kingham, Jason Matias, Charlotte Gibb, Jeff Peterson, Chris Rice, Eric Stensland, Jack Curran, and Michael Howard. Thank you guys so much. Well, if you guys are also looking to support us on Patreon, I would really appreciate that. Let's keep this thing going. We have over 80 bonus episodes over on Patreon for anyone supporting the show at the $5 a month level. So check it out and keep the show going. I appreciate it. All right, well, let's talk about who's coming up on the podcast. I'll be speaking with Paul Marcellini soon to discuss his amazing images from the swamps of Florida. I'm really excited for that one. We also have Ryan Smith and Dustin Lefebvre coming on to talk about the Outsiders Photography Conference. And I'm also really looking forward to recording with Paris Shailat in person from her home in Montana. That should be an interesting episode for sure. I also wanted to talk about the last uh, photo contest that we had here. Uh, The theme was deserts and mountains. And we had some really great submissions from Jared Hills and... D. Craig Young, and Michael Rhino. In the end, I had to go with the photograph uh, that was submitted by Michael Rhino, Um, even though it was from Yosemite and uh, near Tunnel View and all that fun stuff, but uh, it was just a really great shot. Uh, It's got, uh, I think it's Bridalville Falls and and Half Dome, and uh, it's just, I don't know, the water's kind of got this really nice flowingness to it, and then the, the sunrise is kind of uh, reflected in the flowing water. So it's really great. So nice job, man. Keep it up. I will, uh, I'll, get you an, I'll get you a reward here shortly. All right, well, let's talk about the next theme of the podcast. So the next theme of the podcast, and this is kind of a funny theme, it's going to be, quote unquote, my nemesis. So I know we all... Well, I don't know if we all do, but I know I have like a photo nemesis um, in terms of like a subject that I'm always constantly trying to get and it just never quite comes out right. And I want to see your guys' take on the theme of my nemesis. So let's see those uh, photos on our Patreon community page at patreon.com slash listen slash community. All right. Well, thanks for listening and collaborating. And see you next week.